Amen. Let's pray. Father, we have come into your house with singing and into your courts with praise. Hosanna, God, save your people. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God, we come into this place ascribing to you all blessing and honor and glory and power. Amen, amen, let it be. So be it. Father, we come because we know that we need you. God, we come because we know that we need your word like hungry people in need of bread. God, we need your word. Father, as we come to your word today, Father, may your truth of who you are and the things that you do and that which you call us to, God, may that truth go deep within to us. Father, enliven us by your Spirit and make us be your people, your children. Father, we pray that your word today would convict us and console us, comfort and counsel us. But Lord, let your word come. Father, we thank you that you are the God who reveals yourself to us. And so today simply we ask that you would show us Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Today we come to John chapter 12, verses 12 through 50. And as Christ and his word are present, I ask you to rise in honor of our King. Hear God's word. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks 
So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory. And spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in Jesus. For fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Can you endure just a couple more verses? This is tough stuff. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. 
I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me. Friends, this is the Word of God, and it is for us, the people of God. And so we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. John chapter 12 is the final public teaching of Jesus in the gospel. From here, forward, from chapter 13, 1 forward, is the final week of the life of Jesus before his crucifixion and, uh, and resurrection. These words that we heard today are the final words of teaching, and they are urgent words. They are words that neither John nor Jesus wants his people to miss. Because these words have everything to do with his mission and what it means to be the people of God. Think about something that you've waited for in your life. Something that you longed for, something that was long-waited that you anticipated, that you thought about, that you prayed about, that you, you just couldn't wait until it happened. Think about something like that. Maybe it's graduation for some of you, right? Maybe it's a promotion and you just have to put in so much time before it comes and it will come. Maybe it's Christmas for some of you. Maybe for some of you it was marriage, waiting for that day to say those vows. Maybe for some of you, it has been or is right now, pregnancy. Emily Saul with twins this morning at the first service. I said that. She said, amen. <laughs> Hang on, mama, just a little while longer, right? Maybe it's the Cubs winning the World Series. Maybe it's the joy of reuniting with someone who has been deployed overseas. Can you feel that time? Can you remember that time, that thing that you waited for, that person that you waited for, for so long? Now, so close. All through the Gospel of John, we have heard the term, the hour, where Jesus has said, my hour has not yet come. Jesus at his first public miracle recorded in John is the wedding at Cana, and Jesus turns a, 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 
a ridiculous amount of water into the best wine. But before he does that, you'll remember his mother comes to him and she says, they have no wine. And what does he say to her? He says, woman, what concern is that of me? Then he says, my time, my hour has not yet come. Again and again and again through this gospel and in these, these first 12 chapters, we've seen the, the, the conflict, the argument, uh, the, the tough words between Jesus and the religious elites, the people who are in power, the people who are threatened by Jesus, the people who see him, and that if he, what he says is true, then everything that they've grasped onto, they have to let go of. Jesus, again and again and again in these confrontations, they've ended with things like they sought to pick up stones to stone him, but he departed. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. They were going to arrest him and take him away, but his hour had not yet come, so he escaped. All through the ministry of Jesus, the three years that are chronicled here in the first 12 verses of John, there is an hour, there is something that's coming that has not yet arrived. And here in this passage, we opened it with Palm Sunday, Jesus, the king, rides into Jerusalem as the king of the Jews, saying very clearly, riding a donkey to fulfill the prophecy that he is indeed the long-awaited king. He's the Messiah, the great lover king who has come. And the Pharisees, they see this and they hate it. And they have this interesting dialogue in verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, and this is their word to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. They're having this conflict among themselves because some of them believe in him, some of them don't, and they're saying, you're not gaining anything by coming out against Jesus. And then look what they say. Look, look, the world has gone after him. The world. They, they look out at the crowd and they see people from all kinds of nations who have gathered in Jerusalem for this most solemn feast of the Passover. The world is there and the world, all of these peoples are saying, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes, he's the king. And the Pharisees say, look, the whole world has gone out after him. And then right after this, we're introduced to these Greeks these people, they're, they're Greeks, they're God-fearers, they're, they're not Jews, but they're seeking the God of Israel, they're seeking the one true God. And now among those who went up to worship at the feast, verse 20, some were Greeks, 21, so these came to Philip. Now, Philip is a Greek name, and maybe that's why they came to him among the other disciples. They're like, oh, Philip, he's, he's got a Greek name, we're going to go to this guy. And they say to him, they are seeking Jesus, and they say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And so Philip tells Andrew. And Andrew and Philip together go and tell Jesus. And it's interesting. We have no idea if those Greeks ever got to meet Jesus. It's not recorded. I'm assuming that they did because I think that's what Jesus would do. But look what Jesus says. Out of the crowd, out of the praises, out of all of this, 
these Greeks seek Jesus, and all of the sudden, as all of the world is coming to him, he says, the hour has come. It's time. The wait is over. Father, glorify your name. What is the hour? The hour here in the Gospel of John, we've talked about this in the past, the hour that has come, this hour that has been looming on the horizon, and as you're going, driving, like you're driving across the plains and you see the Rockies, and it's like forever, they'll never come, and yet they loom and they get bigger and bigger and bigger, that hour finally has come. They're at the Rockies, they're at the destination, and the hour is his crucifixion. The hour is his death. But that's not all it is. The hour is the time of his crucifixion when he will be lifted up for all the world to see. But it's also his resurrection, his ascension, and his enthronement in glory. You see, the hour begins with humiliation and suffering, but it will end with life and victory. That's the hour. That's the hour. The road, through, the road to this hour is through humiliation and suffering, but it will lead to life and victory. And now it has come. Can I tell you something? In the flow of the gospel, and we're going to look at this uh, over these next six weeks, but in the flow of the gospel, this will talk about the road that's marked with suffering. It's going to lead to a foot washing, and it's going to lead to a last supper, and it's going to lead to uh, suffering and flogging and a cross. But it doesn't end there. It leads there, but it ends with resurrection and enthronement. Here's the thing for us. We right now live in the hour of glory. Let me just say this again because sometimes we forget this, Christians. Right now, we live in the hour of glory. How can I say that? How can I say that? You see the news today? How can I say that? I can say that because Jesus is not on the cross anymore. Jesus is on the throne. And we are waiting, not for his hour. His hour has come. It's glory. We're waiting for the day when he will come and make this whole world right. But Christian, do you live in the light of the knowledge that right now is the hour of glory? Or do you make your bed in a place that is less than that? That as if it is the hour of death. As if it is the hour of grief. As if it is the hour when Christ is still on the cross. Not sure how it's going to end. Friends, guess what? We know how it ends. Right now is the hour of glory. Do you live like that? Do you live in the light of the glory of Christ? This passage 
It's filled with so much, so much truth. I cannot do justice to so many verses. But what I want to call our attention to is that because Jesus has, is on the throne and because the hour of glory has come, in this passage, Jesus leaves us instructions of how we are to live in the light of that truth. And so number one, the first thing, that it is time, it's our time, church, it's our time to live in the salvation of our God. Look at verse 31, please. Now, Jesus, he, he's talking about his glorification. He's talking about um, hearing this voice from heaven that, that, uh, that seals the deal, that, that says that everything that Jesus says is true. And in verse 31, he says, now, this hour that is now here, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the judgment of this world. See, the cross is the place of salvation. Praise God. But the cross at the same time is the place of judgment where all the world stands accused. The cross, all of us, when we stand before the cross, we see the judgment of God that is leveled on a world that is lost in darkness and sin. All of us, not only those before knowing Christ, but for those of us who do know Christ and follow Christ, the cross remains the grand leveler of God's judgment. What do I mean by that? I mean that sometimes we are tempted to look at the cross and reject its grace in favor of our own goodness. And when we do that, we stand accused. I will only speak for myself. I won't say we, I won't make assumptions. I, Jeff, I can do really a pretty good job if I really, I don't even have to work too hard at it. I can do a great job of coming up with my own measure for sin that makes the other look a whole lot worse than me. I don't know if any of you can do that too. I can make up measurements and rules for judgment. It's actually second nature to me. I do it well. And when I do that, I forget that the cross is the leveler. It is the measure the cross, I don't get out of jail free with the judgment of God when the, with the leveling truth of the cross. I do in Christ, praise God. But do you see what I mean? That at the cross, when I live at the cross, God's measure of what is true and what is just and what is righteous it falls on me. I don't get to make up those standards anymore. And Christian, 
When you get away from the cross, when I get away from the leveling gaze of the cross, I can get really self-righteous really quite easily. And maybe you can too. We must live in the salvation of God that we find at the cross. It's so easy to be prideful. It's so easy to measure others more harshly than ourselves. It's so easy to forget that if not for the grace of Jesus Christ, there I would be too. Friends, it's time to live in the salvation of God at the cross. Uh, John 12, 44 says this, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. And I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. What does that mean? It means that in Christ, the light has come. The light that first exposes our deepest sin. It's a light that measures us all. And yet, then we see that in the cross, our sin is covered and cleansed, and we are made to be acceptable in the sight of a holy God. And when we see Jesus, we see the Father. Belief in the Son is the door to life with the Father. Oh, church, it's time to live in the salvation of God at the cross. Well, also verse 31, it says this, the second part of it, now in this hour, the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now in this hour, the ruler of this world will be cast out. It's time to live in the victory of God, in the victory of God. Listen, the cross is the place of victory over Satan and his evil, dark dominion. The cross is that place where Jesus has disarmed principalities and powers. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2, 15. You can look it up. It's there as Christ hangs on the cross. The powers of evil are disarmed. They're still around but they are not omniscient. They don't know everything. They're not omnipotent. They don't have all power. They are not omnipresent. The devil isn't able to be in all places at all times. They're bound and they are disarmed. One commentator says this, the hour of the cross is therefore the dethronement of the devil from his tyranny and at the same time, the hour is the enthronement of the true king, the glorification of the Son of Man. Can I ask you something? Isn't it time to live in the victory of Jesus instead of the strongholds that the devil erects in our lives? Isn't it time to live the victory of Christ? Um. We all have wounds. We all carry wounds. 
Usually it's from things that people have done to us. And around those wounds, we can carry burdens. And, and as a Christian, the devil cannot come and take possession of us. The Holy Spirit is greater. The Holy Spirit is in us. So as, a, as a child of God, as a believer, he places his spirit in us. That's what it means to be his child. So there's no place for the possession of evil. Yet, those wounds can be places where we are susceptible to hear the lies of the devil. They are places where we can be susceptible to be tempted to disobedience. They can be places without the healing of God in our lives where we can doubt God's faithfulness and his goodness. Do you have places like that in you? We all do. Sometimes from those places, we, we grow addictions. Somewhere around those places, we, we believe lies. Somewhere, sometimes around those places, we, we come to the place where God just can't be true and I have to walk away. It's from those places that, that we can be broken. And yet, hear me. Jesus has come to disarm those places. He has come with power to bring healing to his people. Some of you might say, yeah, Pastor Jeff, that sounds great, and I've tried all kinds of things. Well, don't give up, Christian. Because what I see here is that the ruler of this world will be cast out. Evil will be made right. Healing will come to those broken places. Hold on to Jesus. Either he is victorious or he is not. And either he is victorious for a victory that may still yet to come in you, and yet he is sufficient for that victory, or he is not for anyone. Hold on. Sometimes we've got to just burrow right down into that place with prayer, with fasting, with the Holy Spirit, with trusted friends and advisors to do that hard lifting, that hard work of spiritual combat in those places. But victory will come. Victory has to come because Christ is victorious. It's time to live in the victory of Jesus. It's also time to live as the fruit of God. Yes, that's what I said. It's time to live as the fruit of God. Look at verses 24 through 26. 
right after Jesus declares that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, he, he gives three sayings that are all interconnected, and they're hard, but they're glorious, and they're wonderful, and we got to lean into them. So he says, truly, truly, heads up, heads up, listen to this, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. What is the glorification of Christ? It begins with the death of Christ. That's what he's, that's what he's commenting on. You know, what a, you know a seed, picture a seed. A seed's just a seed. A seed's just a plain old little thing with a husk around it. And what Jesus is saying is that seed has to go into the ground and it has to die have you ever seen a time lapse of a seed being planted and then something else sprouts out of it? What happens to that seed? It gets obliterated, right? It just, it just changes. It's no longer there. The, but the fruit has to come after the burial. The fruit has to come after the death. See, the seed, the purpose of the seed is to die so that life can come. And that's what Jesus is saying about himself. My purpose is I have to die in order for life to come, in order for resurrection to come. But then by extra, if we keep reading here, we're going to see not only his life, but our life. Not only his resurrection, but our resurrection. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that he is the seed of his church. And guess what? We are his fruit. Turn to a neighbor and say, you're a fruit. <laughs> no, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. But listen, it's true. It's true. Listen, if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, you are the fruit of the, of the, of the travail of Jesus. If you are in Christ, you are the fruit of his suffering. If you are in Christ, you are the fruit of his humiliation on the cross and his separation from God in his death. You are the fruit of his hour. And so am I. Our natural function, therefore, as fruit is to blossom and grow. We are produced by his grace and for his glory. Some of you know Ephesians 2.10 uh, by heart. It goes like this. For we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. We are God's workmanship. And we are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, we are the, the fruit of God, of Christ. We are the masterpiece of Christ. We are those for whom Christ has died. And we are precious to him. Look at verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is the quality of the followers of Jesus. To love Jesus more than life. How difficult is that? 
What does that look like? To love Jesus more than our life. You know what it looks like because you do it. How is Jesus in a seat of primacy in your family? How is Jesus that primary person in your life? Where does Jesus impact the priorities of your time and spending and relationships? Do we love Jesus more than life? See, the only way to progress in the Christian life is is to follow Jesus more. Augustine said this, Jesus has awakened in us a great longing for that sweet experience of his presence within. I want to be with him. But he goes on, but it is by daily growth that we acquire it, that, that sense of the presence of Jesus. It is by walking that we grow, and it is by forward efforts that we walk so as to be able at last to attain it. What Augustine says is, okay, you, you want to you grow the fruit of Christ in your life? Then follow him. Because then he'll develop it. What, what do I mean by this? Um, I'll just I'll use a I'll use a um, I'll use a financial uh, illustration. So, let's say you're thinking about tithing, but you're not sure if you can actually do it. You know what your finances are. You want to give glory to Christ but you're not sure if you can. Well, do it and see what God does with it. Do it and see if the Lord is leading you in a way where His primacy will reorder your priority. Does that make sense? So in our house, we don't have the best phones in the world because we've made other commitments to honor Christ. That doesn't mean you can't, if you have the best phone, you don't honor Christ. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) What I am saying is, how does Christ have primacy there? And my point is, you can't know if Christ has primacy there until you give him primacy there and work through it. Does that make sense? Or am I talking in circles right now? It makes sense. I'm glad. The only way is through it. The only way is giving Jesus primacy and watch him give that fruit. He will grow that fruit in our lives doesn't have to be financial. Every way, in every way. Last, look at this last verse. If anyone serves me, 
He must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. It's time. The hour has come for us to live into the salvation of God, for us to live into the victory of God, for us to live as the fruit of God, which means to be where Jesus is. Jesus says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Every week in the benediction, we say, and who's in front of us? Jesus is in front of us to show us the way, right? And, and lately I've been saying, so stay close to him. You know what that means? You're not in charge. You know what that means? You're not leading. I'm not leading. Jesus leads and I follow him. That's what that means. And I got to stay close to him. Because if I lag back and I get a perspective of where he's going, oh, I might not want to do that. I got to keep my eyes on his shoulder blades and trust that he knows what he's doing. That he's going to lead me in his way. He's going to lead me according to his purpose. He's going to lead me in my life according to what is pleasing to him. That I may bear fruit wherever I find myself to be. The hour has come to live as the fruit of God. Would you look at verse 43 and then I'm done. Actually, verse 42. We are told here by John that many of the authorities believed in Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So you have people who are believing in Christ, but they don't want to be ejected from their community so they don't tell anybody that they are, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Augustine prayed that we may have faith that learns not to blush at his name. I don't have to tell you, you know more than I, that to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ can be costly. in the systems that we operate in every week, where you work, where you move and have your being, to stand for the truth of the gospel can be a costly venture. It's easy for me to stand up here and say, so fear God more than man. Go ahead and fear God, no matter the cost. It's easy to say. And yet, will we be found faithful? 
Now is the time. It is the hour for the church to simply stand on the promises of God for the gospel of Jesus. It is time to proclaim him as king to the world. It is time to glorify him as our all and all, for where else do we have to go? It is time for the church to bear the fruit of righteousness and grace because the world is hungry for what we have. Now is the time to seek the glory of God and not man. Friends, the hour has come, and it's the hour of glory. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget that Christ is on the throne, and he is for you and for your good. And yet the day has not yet arrived. The day is still coming. And one day, he will appear. And all that we long for will be fulfilled. And all that is wrong will be made right. And every lie will be swallowed by the victory of the truth. Honor your king until he comes. Let's pray. Lord, these last public words of Jesus in John are, are hard words. And yet they are true words. Father, we praise you that Jesus is the king. We praise you that he is the king still. And that his hour now is one of glory. Father, that doesn't mean that we do not suffer. And yet, Father, when we look around this world, we see that our suffering, Lord, compared to other Christians throughout the world... God, we, um, we are blessed in so many ways, yet we do suffer, and yet, Father, you are sufficient. Christ has come, and it is the hour of glory. Father, we don't ignore the suffering or the hurt or the pain, but, Lord, we bring it to you that your victory may wash over us, that your grace may speak comfort and peace in us, that we as your people may rise as your people in a world that is longing and yearning for hope. Lord, this, the world is um, it's hurting so many other things we could say, but God, it's just a hurting place. And yet, Father, we are your people. You've called us out of darkness into marvelous light, and now as the light, you call us to shine that light, to feed the world with the fruit, to be the aroma of Christ in the world. We praise you, Lord, that you are building your church and you're calling your people not to flee from the world, but to go right in there with the glory and the grace of Christ. Lord, as so many friends here prepare to, tomorrow to hit it again, God, I pray that they would go knowing that they are bearers of your glory 
and agents of your grace. Use us, Lord. Use us to reach people who are hurting, who need to know that you are the Lord, their Father, the great shepherd of the sheep. Thank you, Lord, that your hour has come and we now live in the hour of glory. May we rise. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.